I haven't featured Mark Andreessen since July when we talked about the race to remote as well as the three kinds of platforms in May of 2021. But this time around, I wanted to focus on his barbell strategy of content and in general thinking of ideas because he tends to talk about two things which seem in direct contrast with each other. One, which is acting faster than anyone else. And two, which is only investing in ideas that have stood the test of time. I was randomly browsing some email newsletters when I saw that actually he did a podcast that was subsequently deleted from Substack. And obviously, when something has been censored, it becomes infinitely more interesting. So you can actually dig up the podcast based on the Wayback Machine. And I listened through it and it was pretty insightful two hour conversation. But I thought this 15 minute piece on OODA loops and barbelling of content is really worth your time. Do you know the concept of the OODA loop? No. Okay, so the, the OODA loop is this concept in, in warfare. It's a, it's a military strategy term, and it was developed by this kind of famous fighter pilot, top ground instructor named John Boyd, who went on to become like a, a senior basically advisor to basically like overall U.S. military strategy, including to like Dick Cheney during the, the first invasion of Iraq. Um, and um, he developed this concept of basically uh, aerial combat, which he then extended to basically all of military combat. And it's, it's, it's basically this theory of what they call maneuver warfare. Um, which is sort of, you know, fast maneuvering as opposed to just like giant mass warfare. And then the sort of key concept was basically to win a maneuver warfare. Uh, it's, the, it's the speed of execution. It's, it's basically how fast you can run the loop of figuring out what to do. Um, and so it's this concept called the OODA loop and the OODA is an acronym, O-O-D-A. Um, and there's four steps in the OODA loop. It's observe, orient, decide, act. Um, and basically it's the process that you go through of basically it's like observe, it's like, okay, what's happening around me, orient, like, where am I rel relative to everything happening around me? It's like decide, like, what's my next move? And then it's act, right. Actually execute my next move. And, and this, this idea generalizes, right. This idea generalizes to, if you're playing a, you know, playing a, you know, it's everything from playing football, playing a video game to like trying to figure out what to do in, in business, you know, strategy, uh, you know, this, you know, trading, you know, financial markets, like it, it it's basically the process of decision-making. And then his, his basically his claim was whoever runs the OODA loop the fastest wins. And there's a very specific reason for it, right? So one is just whoever's moving fastest just is moving fastest, which is, you know, just good. Assuming they're making good decisions. But the other thing he says is, look, if you're moving, if, if you're running your OODA loop faster than your competitors running their OODA loop, um, you can actually be acting before they've been able to get all the way through their loop. Right. And so, you know, the fast person is like observe, orient, decide, act, while the second person is still in the process of observing and orienting. Right. And then he says basically what happens is if you can get inside the other guy's OODA loop, you can cause a psychological breakdown. Right. You, you, right. You can, you can literally crack their willpower, right, to the point where they just kind of have to surrender. Because basically it's like, you know, the shit is coming at them so fast and so furious. And then they just basically can't respond and they don't know what to do. And they have like a psychological breakdown. And so he, he basically says like that, that's how you win wars kind of the easy way, um, which is you get inside their OODA loop and, and cause them to have a psychological breakdown. And so <laughs> one of my theories is that basically Twitter and the internet generally, uh, right, are, they're like a hyper accelerated media OODA loop, right? Um, and, and, and I think this is kind of what, you know, Trump wouldn't put it in these terms, but I think it's kind of what he figured out, which is like, if you just keep, coming right if you just like keep throwing stuff against the wall and you just keep like doing things and forcing issues and like putting out new messages and like frankly having just scandals and just like one after the other after the other like every hour every day and you know sometimes even minute by minute 
then basically everybody else whose job it is to kind of deal with you or respond to you, right, basically ends up psychologically shattered, right? Because they just like, they literally like no longer know how to function. Um, and so, I, and so I think like basically what's happening is this is like one of, this is like the reason why the internet, it feels like the internet's kind of eating all culture. Um, and, and it's basically because the internet is, is, is the fastest OODA loop and, and then Twitter is the fastest OODA loop within the internet. Right. Um, and so, and, and then that leads to this weird thing that kind of you mentioned, which is like, okay, then whatever is in the thing that's delayed an hour or a day or a week or a month is just a reflection off of whatever was happening online earlier. Right. And so it's just basically regurgitated Twitter gossip 24 um, seven. And, and I, I, I think this might be just like a permanent state of affairs. Like, I don't know that we ever get out of this. Yeah. So, so that brings me to the next issue about permanence and where we are. Like, so I have a theory that something happened in the mid two thousands, roughly. Right. Uh, where, you know, culture mains, what we think of mainstream culture uh, stopped. Right, it got stuck. Um, and everything from, you know, we can see it, right? With superhero movies is a big example. Um, you know, there keep you know, there hasn't been a shift. We're not we're not making sort of new genres like we did. Um, TV shows, uh things from hairstyles to fashion. Uh you start looking around a little bit and you see that something like like something happened. And, and we're sort of not transitioning like we did in the 20th century uh, from decade to decade. And uh, when you look at the mid 2000s, you see, okay, Twitter, uh, Twitter came along, YouTube, um, Net Netflix went digital, um, was it Facebook as well? A, a bunch of Amazon uh, got serious. A lot of things happened. Uh, and, then, and then even like you brought this up to me, uh, save the cat books came out in like right. 2005, right? Some guy wrote a screen, a way to write movies. And eventually these became the standard way to actually write uh, movies and they're successful to the point where like, I think you, you don't, you watch like you, you what did you say to me? Hollow Point from the nineties? <laughs> exactly. My favorite movie. Because it's so not in that style, right? And then when I think of like the last good movie I saw, I think of uh, Tarantino's uh, last film because it was just sort of this hangout film without a plot or anything. And I'm starting to see that like what I'm gravitating toward is getting away from this cluster that we're sort of we're all in. I mean, do you see that as well? Yeah, so I think I'm, a, you know, the way you describe this is kind of stuck culture. Um, and I think when you say that, I think what you, I think what you mean by that is like mainstream culture is stuck. Yes, yes. Um, everything and then, below it is not. Like we're going. I mean, we're we're here on this podcast. Right. I mean, we're going. You know. So. Right. Exactly. Right. And so th this is what I think is happening. So I think this is, I so the way I think of this, I think of this as the bar. This is the barbell. This is this is an instance where the barbe barbell principle applies. And so, uh, and another term for the barbell um, uh, concept is, is what we call death of the middle. Um, and so basically like, let's, let's use like an analogy from like a different, a different world entirely, which is like, let's just say like retail stores, like what's happened to retail stores in the last like 50 years. And basically what's happened is death of the middle, right? Which is like once upon a time, like when dinosaurs roamed the earth, when I was a little kid, um, you know, you had department stores, right? Mm -hmm. um, and department stores were like a big deal at the time, right? Through the 20th century, because it's like, you know, they had a larger selection of, of, of goods than like, you know, the general store from like 100 years ago. Um, and, you know, at, at somewhat cheaper prices, right? And so they were, they were like, a, you know, going to Sears or like JCPenney was like a really good idea as compared to like going to the corner or whatever, you know, hardware store or the corner clothing store or whatever. 
Um, and so, so anyway, so like you, you had this kind of, you know, kind of what people thought was optimal mix of like pretty good quantity, you know, pretty good quality, pretty good prices. Um, and then basically right what happened to retail was death in the middle, which is basically you had and barbelling, which is you had the rise of superstores, like on the one hand, right. And so the rise of like big box retailers and then Walmart and then ultimately Amazon, right. Which just basically presented like an explosion of quantity, right. Like far more choice than you would ever have at like a Sears or JCPenney on the one hand. And, and by the way, at lower prices, cause they're just dealing in such high volume. Um, and then on the other hand, the rise of boutiques, right? The, the rise of the specialists, right? And this is, you know, the Gucci store and the Apple store, right? And the store that sells your, you know, whatever your, you know, your hand lotion, right? And all of the like stuff that like, you, where it's like an experiential, very special experience. That's like, you know, just high discretionary income. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm buying something like really matters to me, you know, whatever the, you know, the, whatever is the hot, like the, Lulu, the Lululemon store or whatever, right? Um, and so basically what happened is retail is like, you know, so Sears and JCPenney just got like obliterated, right? They just got like absolutely nuked, right? And, and by the way, like, you know, so did the malls that they're in, which kind of have that same, that, that same dynamic, right? Like the concept of the mall, right? You drive to the mall because it's like a greater selection of stores than you would have if you were just in your town. But of course, the mall is like tiny compared to stores on the internet, right? It's, you know, compared to just being on Amazon, right? And so the, the mall also has this problem of it's stuck in the middle. And so, so basically what happens, and, and so you, you kind of saw that happen to retail. And by the way, like, that's ha- that, ha- that has happened in many, many industries. Um, uh, it's actually happening in my industry, venture capital. Um, it's happened, it happened in like ad agencies. It happened to law firms. It happened to banks. Um, it happened to Hollywood talent agencies. By the way, it happened to Hollywood film studios. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's kind of happened in, in, in lots of different areas of the economy. And we can talk about why. It's, it's basically like this process of sort of specialization and uh, professionalization that happens. It's sort of a sign of maturity uh, of a field. Um, and so basically what I think has happened is that that's the same thing basically has happened in culture, right? Which is, which is kind of as you, know, as, as you talk about a lot, which is like you used to have just like whatever the few hundred bands that everybody listened to because everybody that was the bands people could listen to. But it's like those weren't necessarily the 200 or 300 bands that you would have listened to had you known all of the music that existed, right? But of course you didn't, and so you didn't know you were missing anything, right? And, and, and so now what you've got is the barbelling, which is like, okay, on the one hand, if I like a particular kind of music, I could probably find a much deeper well of that specific kind of music online on SoundCloud and YouTube and Spotify and so forth. And so like the odds that I'm just going to listen to whatever is the latest pop thing is, is, is just not that high. Um, but it's not, but the other side of the barbell is real. Right, which is, and this maybe is, I think we kind of agree on this. Um, you do have these global mega hits, like you do still have them, and in fact, they're bigger than ever. Mm-hmm. Right, it's just like the bar for being a global mega hit is like a lot higher now. Like it has to be really special, right, to be a global mega hit. Um, and so, um, and you know, and 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 there's you know the, the two categories that you've called out in your writing is like one one is just like obviously politics. Right. And so, and so like people have basically, people have loaded onto politics, the level of sort of cultural uh, engagement that they used to put onto like entertainment. Um, right. And so, you know, and therefore Trump and all these other things. And so you've got these, like, you've got these, you've got these like mega political things going on. And then you've got like the few remaining kind of big sports. Um, and then, you know, and then I, th- I think you said in one of your things, you've, you've got, you know, COVID was one of these, right. Everybody got to obsess about COVID for a year and a half right. or two years. Um, but like, that's the, and you know, maybe, you know, maybe this year, maybe it's like this Oprah, Meghan Markle interview, you know, maybe it, maybe it takes Oprah to have an interview be, be big now and maybe like, no, you know, maybe nobody else can do it. Um, and so you've got like a handful of those things. And so I, so I think those things do exist. They, they don't tend to be scripted entertainment anymore. Um, they tend to be something else. They tend to be kind of some sort of, some sort of reality based entertainment. 
but they do exist. But then, yeah, on the other side, you've got this just like incredible fragmentation. I, I like to use the term kind of the kaleidoscope um, of culture, which basically is this just like incredible variety and depth across every like micro genre of everything you can conceivably think of. And it's, you know, it's out there on the internet waiting for you. Um, and so I, 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 the way I think about it is basically, it's like when you say stuck culture, stuck culture is basically culture in the middle, right? Um, and so it's, and, and, and it's, it's quite literally stuck. And then of course, why is it stuck? It's stuck because like basically it, it's on the wrong side of the trend. And so therefore the people who produce that stuff just are, are getting kind of logically risk averse. Um, you know, they're getting scared. Um, and the natural response to getting scared is to kind of, you know, try to kind of rein in, you know, uh, volatility. Um, and then as a consequence, it, it just like goes stale. Anyway, that, that's my take. See, see what you think of that. What, what? If you're a Marco and Jason fan, I'm going to leave a link to the full two-hour podcast in the show notes. But also I'm linking a article from Protocol where they talk about the Lindy idea and how Andreessen uses that for investing.